We, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, before services got changed because of weather last week, uh, launched into a new series uh, for um, the new year. It's actually a series that bears more weight uh, than just, uh, we would say, a typical teaching series, which obviously God's Word always bears weight. Uh, But the series that we're in actually sets the stage for the theme and the focus uh, for 2019 for Lebanon Christian Church. Uh, We introduced this teaching series called NEAR, uh, just simply N-E-A-R, NEAR, drawing near, drawing close. Uh, And and our hope is this, is that when we look out at 2019, we will grow near to Jesus, uh, near to each other, and near to our neighbor. And when we hear neighbor, think of our community. Think of relationships outside of this specific group of believers that we share relationships with. And here we want to be near to Jesus, near to each other, and near to our neighbor, near to our community. Maybe another way to think of it is, is think about where you are right now. How near to Jesus are you in this moment? How near uh, to other followers of Jesus are you in this moment? How near to your neighbor are you? And so as you look out at 2019, how will you be nearer to Jesus and nearer to each other and nearer to your neighbor when 2019 ends? Uh, That's kind of our aim, and here's why it's our aim. Our mission at Lebanon Christian Church is to be a family, a group of people working together, loving one another, who are devoted to loving Christ and loving community. That is not an original mission with us. Uh, That's an original mission with Jesus. In fact, you've probably heard me tell you before that Lebanon Christian Church is just a part of the much larger church. We talk about the church. We talk about something called the body of Christ. It's the collection of all the followers of Jesus throughout time uh, that are are currently living, that have lived, and that will live. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. And and we spell that church with a big C, if I can get my YMCA practice in, right? That's the big C. And Lebanon Christian Church is just a small part of the big C, but you are a valuable part. I am a valuable part. We are a valuable part. And a mission of the church, big C, is the same mission reflected for us as Lebanon Christian Church, little c, and that is to love God and to love others, and we just nuance it in the language of uh, being devoted to Christ, loving Christ, and loving community. But if we're going to accomplish that mission, if we're going to love Christ, if we're going to love our community, then we have to be near to Jesus. We have to be near to each other. It's not something we can do in isolation and do alone. We have to be near to our neighbor. When we think about our vision, a vision for an organization is what they're doing in that season, in that organization's life, to accomplish or fulfill their overall mission. And for us, in this season of Lebanon Christian Church, is that we want to be an outpost of hope. An outpost is a place of trade or business that's in an environment that, that, that's not normally in. And so I, I think of the Star Wars. You know, you go to another planet and there's an outpost for uh, this group of people somewhere else. We, we know through Scripture that ultimately this world, as fallen as it is, is not uh, the, the final place. That God is going to make all things new. And while we're here, we have work to do, and that is to be an outpost of hope, purveyors of hope. And so how do we want to do that in this season of Lebanon Christian Church? We know that people are searching for clarity in their life's purpose. 
You have conversations with people at work each day, at school, and, and, and they show how they're struggling. Like, what, what am I here for? What's my purpose? What, what's my meaning? We see it reflected in some of the songs that are being written. I just think about one of the songs that we sang this morning, uh, Who Am I That the Highest King Would Welcome Me? That, 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 that I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. It's that quest for who am I? What, what's my purpose in this life? And your coworkers and your family members and your friends, the people that you recreate with on your sports teams, on the teams that your children are on, they're asking that question. So we want to be an outpost of hope for people looking for clarity of life's purpose, health in their relationships. Like, like which of us is not involved in a relationship of some kind? You may not want to be connected to people. You may have been hurt so many times, you try to distance yourself. You can't live far enough away from everybody else. You want to be off the grid. But the reality is we all share relationships. You get gas and people are parked in front of you and behind you. There are people that you are in relationship proximity to. Uh, we, we all come from families as dysfunctional as they might be sometimes. And, and I think ultimately we've been hurt enough that we, we want health. So we're going to be an outpost of hope for people looking for clarity of life's purpose, health in their relationships, and the final piece of that is freedom from addiction. You read in our papers just like I do. You listen to the news. You know that our society, even our community, is wrecked by addiction. Whether that be alcohol, whether that be opiates, whether that be a number of other narcotics, um, maybe it's just food. Maybe it's some type of sexual addiction. We're, 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 our lives are ravaged by it. And so how can we find freedom? And Christ provides that. And so as we help, want, want to love our Christ and, and, and love our community, we want to do it by being this outpost of hope for people looking for clarity of life's purpose, health in their relationships, and freedom from addiction. And guess what? We don't get to do those things unless we're near to Jesus. We're near to each other, and we're near to our neighbor. How, how do you purvey hope to the person who's desperate and wanting, who thinks that the only place to find it is, 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 is opening up a, a car door in the middle of the night and, and grabbing and scrounging for some loose change to go find that person in another part of town to give them that one more hit. How do you do that? You, you gotta be near to them. You gotta know who they are. You gotta be near to Jesus, near to each other, and near to our neighbor. And so last week, what we tried to do is just kind of, or two weeks ago, try to kind of baseline we just explore this idea of nearness and how our hearts are, are wanting to be near, to be close. And so if you weren't able to be with us on January 13th, my encouragement to you is that you would you'd go online, download the podcast, maybe as you're driving to work this week or driving around making deliveries, uh, maybe you got the headphones in on the assembly line, that you would listen in to this idea of nearness because it really sets the stage for everything else. As we look at being near to Jesus and near to each other and near to our neighbor, it all starts in one place. We do all those things as a response to what God has already done. Uh, Last time we got together, uh, I sat in the seats, and I want you to see this as an image of of nearness and and of relationship. And we shared how there was an obstacle that stands between uh, us and God, and that obstacle ultimately is sin. It's the barrier that has separated us. And in our theme passage of 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 6, 2, there's a word that's used again and again and again, and that word is the word reconcile. And it's in a variety of forms, reconcile, reconciled, reconciliation. It's this idea of a relationship being restored, a relationship being repaired. And so if we have the barrier of sin, 
our wrongdoing, our rebellion that separates us from God, God chose to draw near in the form of Christ, permanently near by giving us his spirit, and, and came close. And even though there are things that we think would make God not ever want to spend time with us if he's perfect and holy, God said, no, I'm going to make a way. It speaks to your value. It speaks to your worth. We've just come through January. January has been called the Sanctity of Human Life Month. Last Sunday would have been Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's kind of ironic that when the March for Life and stuff is occurring and we're talking about the value of human life, there's some devastating legislation that's gone through. I'm sure you've read that in the news. But God values human lives so much that he said, I don't, I don't want to be separated from them, so I'm going to draw close. I'm going to draw near. And it's because he drew near, because he broke down the barrier that everything else flows from it. It's imperative that we get that. In Jesus, he changes the relationship status for those who believe. And then we draw near to him as a response. God's action leads to our reaction. We don't draw near to Jesus. We don't draw near to each other. We don't draw near to um, our neighbor to earn God's favor. It's as a response to God's favor. And that's where we have to start. When you you think about what God did for us in Jesus, he he sends his son uh, Jesus, this perfect human being, takes upon himself our sin. He, he dies for us. He, he makes a way back to God for us. And when we believe in that, our relationship status with God changes. We enter a renewed life in that moment, and our relationship status changes. But does that mean we're as close to God as we possibly can be? Our relationship status changed, but there's still things we can do to experience more and more the mysteries of that relationship, the realities of that relationship. You know how we measure closeness in relationships? Intimacy. It speaks to the nearness of heart, not just the physical proximity. You know, in relationships, we want the physical proximity, don't we? We, we, we want, if it's a romantic relationship, you want to feel the warmth of the hand, the, the warmth of the breath. Uh, if it's just a, a purely friendship relationship, you just want to have that physical proximity. You kind of want that bro hug every now and then. Like You, you want to have that closeness. But we know that even more than that, we crave this, this nearness of heart. We want to know that our stories are being interwoven together, that somebody cares enough about us to anticipate some of our needs. We want that intimacy. With God, our relationship status changes. We are in this relationship with him, but we can still grow closer and more intimate with him. Maybe thinking about marriage will help. When Audrey and I said, I do, on October 28th, 2000, um, our relationship status changed. We became married. Now, in October of 2000, Facebook wasn't around, Instagram wasn't around. Uh, But had it been around, I guarantee it would have happened. We would have gone online and we would have changed our status, right? It would have been not just in a relationship, but, but we're, we're now married. Our, our relationship status changed in the eyes of the government. Audrey had to send off for a new social security card. It changed in the eyes of our insurers. It changed in the eyes of our family. <laughs> that took a little while, right? You guys have been there. You get married, and mom and dad still think that you're theirs first, right? Um, but, but our status changed. But did that mean, although our status changed, now Audrey and I are married, that we are as close as we could possibly be? No. And so what unfolds in our married life now, uh, going into our 19th year, in our 19th year, is that it's about 
you know, trying to mine the depths of what, what makes Audrey feel loved. How can I love her more and how can I love her better? Not to earn that relationship, it's there, but to draw closer. And so when we think about what God has done for us, our relationship status changes when we, when we decide to follow him, but yet we can still mine the depths of the realities of that relationship. We can still draw near to him even though he's come near to us. And so that leads us back to 2 Corinthians, um, kind of our main passage in this series. We're going to be focusing just on two specific verses, uh, verses 14 and 15. Uh, they're, they're two of my favorite verses in the Bible. I'm not sure you should have favorites, but, but I do. Um, in fact, it's the inspiration for a winter retreat that I helped lead when I was in youth ministry. In fact, it was the inspiration for having an artist design a logo for that retreat of a dove flying out of a skull, life from death, living for Christ, not for myself, and it gave way to that same image being tattooed on my right arm. That's how important this passage is to me. And I want to share it with you as it helps us understand how to draw near to Jesus. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul writes to these believers that he's had just this complicated relationship with. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In, in verse 14, uh, those early words, uh, Christ's love compels us. It's just a powerful picture. Uh, that, that word compel has to do with kind of pushing you forward, um, drawing you in, motivating you. But it also carries with this idea of being restrained or bound. That's why perhaps as you read in your Bible a moment ago, it said constrains. The love of Christ constrains me. It's this idea of both being bound and being propelled forward. And, and so to help illustrate, I've asked Kurt to come up and... Uh, Tie me up. So, uh, um, so Kurt, a question as you prepare to do this that I need to know. Were you a Boy Scout? Thank you. That's, that's good news for my ears. So here's what I need you to do. Just take that rope. I'm going to hold just a loose hand here. And if you'll just kind of go around me, just, I need to be able to move my hands a little bit. And just don't make it so tight that uh, I'll, I'll never recover, okay? It can be a little tighter than that. Oh, that's, that's plenty. Yep, that's good. <laughs> I think as his washing go a little lower too, get my arms locked in a little bit more down here. Good deal. I think you've been looking forward to a moment <laughs> like this, right? And then you don't have to do a huge knot, but just something that kind of cinches it up back there. Again, nothing, nothing too crazy, Kurt. <laughs> the goal is that it comes off. All right, thank you. Perfect. Appreciate it. So, I intentionally chose a red rope um, because when Paul writes, he says, the love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ constrains me. The, it's, it's something about what God has done in Jesus that, that keeps me locked in. The love of Christ ropes me in. Now, I asked Kurt. I, I willingly volunteered for him to come and to tie me up. When, when, when Paul writes to these believers, he's saying that, 
that, that, that I've come underneath the authority of Christ. He willingly and voluntarily put his belief in Jesus. And it's what Jesus has done then that restricts him. It restricts his movement. You know, I, I can't throw my arms wide open. I, I can't do whatever I want to do with my arms. It, it, it constrains me. When we come to follow Jesus, when we realize what he's done and the love that he has for us, it should dictate what we do. It should control us in some way. It should keep me from doing some things and compel me to do others. What he has done should change what I do. If you look at uh, 2 Corinthians, verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's something about who Jesus is and what he's done that says, I don't, I don't live for myself anymore. But instead I live for him, the one that died and was raised again. I, I, it's not about what I want. See, what happens with Jesus is he gives us a new question. See, so many of us live our lives with this idea is that what do I want? How do I experience the most of life right now? What do I enjoy? What do I want for my family? What should I do for my family? And it's all about what I want, what will honor me, what will honor them. But when, when we come under the authority of Christ, it constrains us to where we say, it's not about what I want anymore. The new question is, God, what do you want? God, what will honor you? What, what will make you feel pleasure and, and be happy? Because I trust in you. I trust in your authority. It's a new question that, that, that should, you know, kind of permeate every, every matter in our lives. God, what do you want for my marriage? God, what will honor you in my marriage? God, what do you want for my career? What will honor you in my career? God, what do you want for my finances? God, what will honor you in, in how I spend money and how I manage the resources you've entrusted to me? God, what will honor you? What, what, what do you want for my interactions at school or, or, or in the community? God, what do you want for how I spend my free time? God, what do you want for my Friday nights? God, what do you want in my dating relationships? See, the new question is, God, what do you want? And when we start asking that question, and it works for every matter of our lives, it gives us a whole other subset of questions, doesn't it? God, what do you want for my marriage? Leads to, God, what, what do you want in, in the sexual component of our marriage? God, what do you want when my spouse disappoints me or frustrates me? God, God what do you want when, when I don't feel like I love her or love him anymore? God, what do you want? God, God, what do you want when it comes to my career? It leads to a whole subset of questions, right? God, what do you want for my work ethic? God, what do you want for my relationship with my coworkers? God, what do you want for the boundaries between me and my secretary or me and that coworker? God, what do you want? What do you, what do you want for my, my expense reporting? God, what do you want for, for, for me as a student? Where, where do you want me to go to school? God, what do you want for the type of career I pursue and the way you've gifted me? God, what, what do you want for how I interact with my classmates and, and what I do on the weekends? God, what do you want? What do you want for the effort I put forth in the classroom? God, what do you want for my finances? God, how do you want me to spend the resources you've given me? God, what do you want for the, the amount of debt or the type of home I buy, whether I rent, whether I own? God, what do you want for the type of car that I buy, whether, whether I lease it or whether I buy it? God, what, what do you want for the places that I go? God, what do you want for the vacations that I take. God, what do you want for how I invest in your kingdom, how much I give to your church, how much I, I invest in other kingdom things? God, what do you want? 
He says, the love of Christ compels me. It, it ropes me in. It dictates what I do. Suddenly, all these options aren't really an option because Christ's love compels me. God, what do you want? What do you want? If I'm going to draw near to Jesus, my relationship status doesn't change. He loves me. He sees me for the righteousness of Christ. But to draw closer to him, I have to start asking a new question. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for him who died and was raised again. God, what do you want? And we think that when we ask that, let's see if I can get this off. We think that when I ask that, um, it, it, it limits me. It, it ruins my life. But the reality is it, it actually brings freedom. I think Jesus knew uh, that when he told his disciples, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Um, that didn't sound easy, did it? But, but it talked about choosing him over other things. I love how the beloved disciple John says it in 1 John 2, 6. He says, if anyone claims to live in him, he must walk as Jesus did. Like when we, when we say, God, I'm yours, and my relationship was with you, my allegiance is with you, then it's about, Jesus, what, what do you do? How would you respond? What choices would you make? How many of us, as we listen to Jesus from the cross, or not from the cross, from the garden, uh, tears of blood when he says, Father, if possible, may this cup pass from me. But God, not my will, but, but yours be done. How many of us, as we read those words and hear those words, realize that one day we'll need to say those words? God, it's, it's not about what I want. It's about what, what you want. If we're going to draw near to Jesus, it's that the love of Christ, what he has done compels us. Again, we don't, we don't make choices about what God wants or what God desires. So somehow we come into greater favor with him. It, it, it's not so that he will come closer to us, but it's just a way of scooting our chair in and leaning in and saying, God, I thank you for all that you've done. My relationship doesn't change, but I can draw closer to you the love of Christ compels us. It restrains us. It constrains us. What he has done should change what we do. Here's some words that Paul shares with another follower. It's in Titus chapter 2. Paul spent so much energy encouraging the church. Again, big C, all these little C churches all throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, he wrote letters to them, but he also invested in some men. And, and, and one of those men was a man named Titus. And, and you can hear these very same echoes in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. God has worked, God has moved, God has loved, God has drawn close. And look at verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what we do in the meantime. While we wait on Jesus to come back, we choose to say no to ungodliness and instead say yes to him who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people 
that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Because of what God has done, it changes what I do. It changes how I live. His life changes how I live. You may say, Craig, well, why is this important? There, there is a philosophy in our world that I'm sure you have said or believed or heard. I know I've spoken it, that we just need to follow our heart, right? So why do I need to worry about saying no to ungodliness? Like, why, why do I need to, to be, be concerned uh, about being restrained or compelled? I'll just follow my heart, right? Well, there's some really bad news in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It's probably going to mess some of you up because some of you I know have lived by the philosophy. It's just, you know, I'll just follow my heart. If my heart's in it, then great. If it's not, then I won't. Jeremiah 17.9, this prophet speaking to Israel, speaks with boldness. And he says to them that the heart is deceitful. Because we live in a world where sinful temptation abounds and we're in a spiritual battle, that's, that's far deeper and thicker and richer um, and happening that we can't even begin to see. Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities and unseen places. There's a, there's a war happening. And because of that, it wages war in our hearts. And there are some times that our heart says, this feels right, uh, or I think this is the right thing for me, and our heart is lying to us. The heart can be deceitful. So if I choose to abide by the American philosophy, just trust your heart, just follow my heart, guess what? My heart's going to take me to places that aren't very good. If I just follow my heart, to accept things and to believe things and be okay with things that, that aren't God's best for me. And so I need the love of Christ to compel me, to constrain me. I need to know that it's not about living for myself and what my heart wants, but about choosing him even when it doesn't make sense to me. The love of Christ compels me. Some of you may be rightfully asking, like, like how does this draw me closer uh, to Jesus? Like, help me understand how choosing his way actually draws me closer to him. Here's the answer. If I am consumed with what matters most to him, if if I want to live for him, if I want to answer the question, what does he want, what honors him, then it means I have to pursue him. I have to pursue him through his word. I, I have to be willing to mind the depths of these God-inspired words collected throughout time, can contain what we call our Bible, to say, God, what, what matters most to you? When, when I ask the question, God, what do you want for my marriage? When I ask the question, God, what do you want in my dating relationships? God, what do you want in my career? What do you want in, in, my, in my friendships? What do you want in my, my recreation? Then, then I've got to be willing to pursue him. And as I pursue him in here, guess what happens? I get to know him more. And, and intimacy is fostered. And as I, as I read his word and I, I begin to understand who he is and what he wants for my life, as I pray to him and I open up my life to him, both speaking and listening, my relationship with him grows. You guys probably know what it was like if you've ever dated. Like, what are those early months like? No, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. No, you go to sleep first. No, no, you hang up. Like, well, we just have to keep, keep talking, right? There's, that communication leads to this intimacy where we get closer and closer and closer. There are other things that we do that, that help foster that intimacy uh, with, with, with Jesus. That When we pursue him, we say, God, I want to do what you want. We, we, we mind the depths of his word. We, we pray to him. 
And there are these other things that the Scripture talks about that, that we can do. And there are these life-changing habits. A, a fancy word from history is spiritual disciplines. Ways that we can discipline ourselves to explore um, these spiritual truths and the experience of following Jesus. Some of the spiritual disciplines in Scripture are, are fasting, solitude, silence, uh, rest. And we, we can explore those things and those holy habits, those, those spiritual disciplines, those life-changing habits transform us and help us grow closer and closer to who Jesus is, to, to experiencing who Jesus is. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, that 9 o'clock right now, uh, every Sunday morning, uh, into April, uh, there is a spiritual disciplines class uh, catalyst study happening. Uh, it's being taught just down the hall, down the ramp. It's called Life Changing Habits. If for you, you're trying to figure out how can the love of Christ compel me, how can it constrain me, how can it, how, how, how can it propel me forward and, and teach me what is right and what is wrong, that may be a thing that you need to change your schedule up over the next few weeks and do, is, is to go down to, to room 117 and, and let Dean, who's teaching in there, uh, share with you some life-changing habits, and as you incorporate those, you become to uh, you grow to hear more and more of God's voice and and what He wants for you. His love can compel you; it can constrain you, and drive you closer and closer uh, to His heart. Um, how many of you are familiar with five love languages? So uh, we've talked about these before. Uh, Gary Chapman did some research and and, and kind of. Uh, lumped the way we like to give and receive love into, into five love languages. Uh, acts of service, words of affirmation, quality time, uh, physical touch, and gifts. And, and, and all of us probably like to give and receive love in all those ways, but we tend to gravitate more towards uh, one or two. And as we strive to love each other better, if I want to love Audrey more, then I figure out what her love languages are. And I'll tell her, top on her list is acts of service. And, and that's low on my list. So, so early on, I had to figure out what, what makes Audrey feel loved and how I serve her. And I had to learn that picking up my clothes and doing the dishes and things like that make a big difference to her. When, when, when I begin to mind the depths of, 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 of who Jesus is and I learn about these life-changing habits, these spiritual disciplines, or pursuing him through his word or through prayer, it's as though I, I start to love him and his love languages. And I grow closer to him. And it draws me nearer to him, not to earn his favor, but as a response to his favor. What he has done should change what I do. So, so what's the practical take-home for you? Well, here's where it starts. If, if you have yet to follow Jesus, that's where it starts. Because anything that we've talked about this morning about drawing near to Jesus comes as a result of what he's done for us. So here's where it begins. It begins by believing in him. Here's what, here's what Paul writes to the believers in Rome. He says that when we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, we'll be saved. The name of Jesus, that word name is the character, the reputation, the essence of who that person is. When we believe in who Jesus is and what he's done, when we accept that in faith, that leads to God's rescue in our lives. We open up our lives to the realm of that rescue. So we believe in the Lord Jesus and we're saved. And, and he, he goes on in, in Luke, Luke writes in Acts chapter 28, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, or 38 and 39, sorry. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So he's speaking to these believers, uh, Peter is, and, and he says that uh, this is all that Jesus has done for you. You've rejected him, you've rejected him, you need to believe. And that belief, that faith is accompanied by repentance and baptism. And as we enter into him in baptism, and this is our baptistry right over here, his spirit fills us and we're made new. And for some of you, that's the first step that you need to take because before you can ever think about growing near to Jesus, uh, near to each other, and near to our neighbor in the fullest way, it comes by understanding how God came near to you and accepting that for yourself. And I know that some of you in the room have yet to take that step. And so for you, that's your next step. Now, some of you may be ready to take that next step today. You may be ready to talk to the person that brought you. You may be ready to come up after our closing song and say, Craig, I'm ready to do this. But some of you may be like, listen, this God stuff's all new to me. I want to keep having conversations. Let's start that conversation. Let's find out what the questions are that you have. Let's explore God's word together. Let's ask those big questions together. But that's where it starts in expressing and accepting that God came near for you. So then what's next after that? Well, if you're already a follower of Jesus, my challenge to you is to ask the hard question. As you think about those big areas of your life, Uh, relationships, uh, career, recreation, education. Uh, Spend some time really asking, God, what do you want? What what do you want in my dating life? What do you want in my marriage? What do you want in my parenting? What do you want for me as, as, as a child? What do you want for me in my relationship with my parents? God, what do you want for me in the workplace? What do you want for me in retirement? God, what do you want for me in, in, in my vacations? What do you want for me in my finances? Find this place and just start with one or two of those questions. And what I would encourage you to do is, whether it's a digital journal or a, a hard copy journal, is I would just start asking it. You'd be amazed at what happens. If you uh, open up a, a note, note-taking app or, or, you, or you open up Word on your computer and you just write a hard question like that, God, what do you want for fill in the blank? And then just start typing. Put some bullets in there, God, do you want me to do this in my relationship with my wife or my husband? Do you, do you want this? Ask him questions. By the way, that's praying to him. <laughs> Invite him in. When you, when you get to those places where you're stuck, like, I, God, I really don't know what you want in this situation, go to his word. If you don't know where to go to his word, contact a, a follower of Jesus that you trust, uh, and they'll help you find those places in his word and start mining the depths of those questions and then choose, okay, God, this is what you want. I'm going to live not for myself. I'm going to live for you. And we all get to those places where we get stuck, and so maybe for you, that's where you incorporate a new life-changing habit. I have found for myself that sometimes when I get to those stuck places, uh, the spiritual discipline or the life-changing habit of solitude is huge. Just getting alone somewhere where it's quiet. Sometimes I have to go a step further, and it's got to be silence, not just solitude. Where I just listen. And guys, that's a scary thing when you're alone with your thoughts, isn't it? Some of my thoughts frighten me. <laughs> but somehow in that silence, God begins to work. Sometimes it's meditation. Sometimes it's, it's choosing a verse. And, and maybe I go to Ephesians and I'm wondering, how do I love my wife the best way? And I love her as Christ loved the church. And maybe I just sit and I just ponder that. God, how do I love her as you love the church? God, how did you love the church? For you, maybe it's incorporating that life-changing habit to help you as you pursue him. But here's the promise I will make you, and it's not a promise that I make first. God's made it. As you draw near to him, you'll experience more and more of his nearness, and it will completely change your life. Let's draw near to Jesus together. What he has done should change what I do. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son. Uh, Thank you for the life that we have in his name.
God, thank you for just just giving him for us and inviting us into a, a deeper reality, God, where even though it may feel like we're, we're locked down, we're roped in, it, it actually allows us to experience more and more of uh, the depths of, of who you've made us to be and what life in you is like. God, for those who are just contemplating following you, Lord, may you give them the courage to ask the hard questions. If they've already found the answers, may you give them the courage to step out in faith, to, to believe in you, to, to repent and turn from their sin, to enter into your life and baptism, to, to be filled with your spirit and let us celebrate that with them. God, for those that are already your followers, may they ask those hard questions. God, we live in a culture that is all about our rights and our wants. And God, we have to take upon ourselves your wants. Help us to live according to your way, not for ourselves, but for you who died.